She could uh, rolling. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Are you, are you rolling? I am rolling. Okay. But what were you going to say? Nothing. So I went home for Christmas. Saw my mom. Uh, you know, saw my whole family. But my mom is, uh, of course, listening to the show as every every boy would want his mom to listen to their in, podcast in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Imagine that. But you know, she was like. I just have one question, and she really likes the show. She was not critical of it oh, at good. all done in this, yeah. but she, she was like the astonishing legend. She's like every. It's not like every episode is an astonishing <laughs> legend. I was like, yeah, I know. Some are legends. <clears throat> some yeah, are some astonishing. Are, yeah, and, and you know what is our brand? We're trying to figure that. Yeah. What, what are we doing? We're, we're not trying to figure it out. We actually know what we want, but like, does the name work for what we want? For me, I was thinking about it actually just today. I was thinking about one of my favorite shows, Unsolved Mysteries. Which some people, if and if anyone in our in our listener base is younger than twenty, they or twenty five, they might not ever even heard of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> well, but anyway, there were two shows really. Yeah, uh, that that the uh, first original round, In Search of. Oh, oh, In Search remember of. That? Yeah, now a lot of people aren't going to remember that. That show is amazing. Yeah, yeah, but there's really just hosted by the Leonard two. Nimoy. Yeah, yeah. Let, well, you got to, and, and then Robert Stack. Yeah, Robert Stack did, oh, I thought you were going to talk about, because Unsolved Mysteries came back for a second round. Oh, that's... They, but they just repackaged yeah. it, and it was Dennis Farina after... Oh, Mr. he's after, great, after but... After Mr. Yeah. Stack died. Right. You know? And Dennis Farina's walking around in this, like, super big fake set with everyone's on computers, yeah. you know? Oh. It's like... So these people are on computers looking up stuff from stories that are 15 years old? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're feeding him information at live right there. No, it's no. just not. Yeah. I but know. my point is that Unsolved Mysteries, it was a great show. I really loved it. And it was about everything. It was about UFOs, oh, yeah. cryptozoology, missing persons, unsolved crimes. It was about you know. unsolved mysteries. I mean, yeah. couldn't, it's explanatory. Yeah. That's what it's about. Right. And we're not exactly unsolved mysteries, but we are astonishing legends. And, you know, maybe every interview yeah. isn't astonishing. But you know what? You <laughs> well, know what's for you to decide. The listener. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's for you to decide because tonight's show is about a visit with a psychic that I actually was part of myself, and then another friend of ours was, yeah. and who came in to do an interview, and, and we just had him back tonight for a follow up interview, actually, because this original interview we recorded a little while ago. But in the course of how this story unfolded, we did come across a legend in this particular case. I, I don't know if you knew this. I only became aware of this today. If a bird flies into a window in your house and then it dies, it's an omen. It's a bad omen that somebody close to you is about to pass away. Well, yeah, I have heard of that. I've never, I'd never heard that till today, really. But it's, you know uh, but Nuts, apparently, it's, yeah. it's, it, it goes through. It permeates lots of different cultures. Oh well, yeah. birds figure prominently, I would say, in world superstition and culture and. Uh, you know, hey, they can fly. You know, like right, most right. other creatures on this earth <laughs> do not fly. So we're already they're kind of mystical. They figured it out. Yeah. And and apparently kind of a dinosaur background, whatever they have, they're kind of mystical creatures. And Right, they we, went from tiny little arms yeah. to wings. But they but, they really traded up. But that's the thing. <laughs> how, how close do you – yes, they did. How close do you get to – a bird. You don't really. So there's already kind of a, a mystery about them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're a far off creature. And I remember as a kid when you'd see it like a dead bird on the ground, like, ooh, yeah. look at that. And you'd maybe poke it with a stick and yeah, get it yeah. a burial yeah, and in a shoebox. But you don't get a, uh, around them, I mean, especially like ones that are even more rare. I think one time we saw a, a dead hummingbird and we we're like, oh my God, you know, that's, they're so fast and they're so elusive. That's the thing. Right. So here's a creature that suddenly smacked into your house 
and is un, you know unfortunately passed away. So you remember that. It's not like you come outside and there's a dead mouse by the garbage can because that happens quite a bit. That's not so mystical. Right. You expect that to happen. <laughs> right, like, right. That just right. pretends you gotta you gotta bag your trash better. Right. Birds have always had kind of a mystical place in culture and folklore. And now I not really heard that was specifically a portent of death. <laughs> Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. The dove is the one bird that the devil cannot change into. Doves are immune to the devil's curses. Anonymous. Join us tonight as we take a look back at a stunning encounter that a friend and I had with a psychic. Okay, so we're going to be talking to Eric Robinson. Say hello. Hi, everybody. Do you want to just do a little bit of background about what you do? Sure. I am a New Yorker by trade. Moved out to Los Angeles four years ago with my then-employer, Harvey Weinstein, having worked at Miramax and the Weinstein Company as a studio film executive for 10 years with him. And now, uh, as of two and a half years ago, I, I run production and development and am a manager of writers and directors at a company called The Gotham Group here in Los Angeles. Okay, I want to follow it up immediately with no one send us any scripts, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we, we don't want them. We're not going to read them. <laughs> um, direct them all to Forest. Yeah, direct them all to Forest. <laughs> so anyway, you know, we were talking about Astonishing Legends, and I was talking to Eric about the show, and he had expressed interest in it. And like a lot of people, he had said that he had had sort of something unusual happen to him with regard to his mother, who uh, has passed. And I thought it was a pretty good story, and he was interested in sharing it. So that's that's why we're that's why we got him on the line right now. Yeah. And the story that I had originally told Scott um, was something that actually took place years ago, around the time that my mother did pass away, and it has since expanded upon itself exponentially in a very interesting way, which actually Scott shared in the experience of. Yeah, it, it definitely does take a turn that involves me and uh, and, jo and John Cryer, no less. Um. Exactly. <laughs> Literally, two and a half men yeah. were involved. <laughs> So I will uh, I will dive in. Okay, so to get to the uh, the origin of it all, I was and basically remain a um, steadfast Jewish mama's boy, and was very very close with my with my mother. In 2004, I was 27, and my mother had a brain aneurysm. Suddenly, she was a healthy woman of 61. As a young woman, uh, had a brain aneurysm, fell into a coma for five days, and ultimately died. Um, uh, she died on October 24th. Incidentally, October 20th would have been her 41st anniversary to my father in 2004. So, fell into the coma the day before their anniversary. So, the day before she died, so I guess it was October 23rd, I'm out at my, I was living in Manhattan at the time with my wife, and I was out in Long Island at my old house, my parents' house, and I was standing in my old bedroom, which had a large picture window on the first floor facing out towards the front yard, when a bird 
flew into the plate glass window and died. Relatively soon thereafter, another bird flew to the front door and died. And soon thereafter, another bird flew into the kind of greenhouse-style windows in the backyard. A quick question. The yeah. the soon thereafters, are, are we talking about the same day or a couple of days? We're or? talking about within the same hour. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I should clarify that in the 20 years that I lived in this house, that had never happened before. Uh, any bird at any point flying into this house. So within an hour, three birds flew into the house and died. Called my sister, who lived about a mile away, to tell her how weird that was. And she said, shut up. Within the last 20 minutes, a bird flew into my plate glass front door and died. And then we called my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, to tell her the strange events. And she said, that's weird. A bird flew into the window where my son, my two-year-old nephew, was being babysat at his babysitter's house into the window that he was sitting in and died. So in one day, within at least a couple of hours, five birds in three separate locations of relatives died. And then flew into windows, flew into houses, and died. And then the following day, my mother passed away. So, of course, we would assign some sort of meaning to that event. Now, two weeks later, the funeral came and went. It was a standing room only event. People from all over the town came. My mother was a really beloved woman. Uh, two weeks later, my sister gets a telephone call from my mother's manicurist, a woman named Mary. Now, being a good Jewish Long Island mother, the manicurist is like the psychiatrist or the bartender uh, in their lives. They're there four days a week. They unload all of their secrets and innermost feelings to these women. So she became a, a friend of my mother, and she called my sister, who also went to her, and said, Hi, I'm sorry I didn't see you at the funeral. She was not a woman who ever called my sister before in her life. So my sister was a little surprised to hear from her. But she said, I'm calling to say, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't see you at the funeral. It was so crowded. But, you know, I, I know this is going to sound strange, but my husband thought that I should call you because I had a dream last night or two nights ago, I don't remember, that uh, was somewhat strange. And I told my husband about it, and he thought I should call you. You might know what it means in a strange way. Mr. Sir, okay, what, what is it? She said, well, I had a dream about your mother, um, and she looked great. Her nails were done. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but in the dream, she said to me, Please call my children and tell them not to forget about the birds. <gasps> and at that, my sister, the hair on the back of her neck is standing up. She dropped the phone. But, you know, Mary's like, do you know what that means? And my sister proceeded to tell her the story, and they were both very freaked out. That has been a story that I've told, you know, a handful of times, numerous, you know, times to close friends and people that I trust as a kind of a strange event, something that could build a bit of spirituality in somebody that didn't necessarily have that core belief before. The the thing that's interesting about it is the the carnage involved <laughs> in the message. <laughs> like well, <laughs> These birds are dying, you know. It's like well, what's funny. I said, I said, wherever my mom is, she's obviously very powerful because she's throwing birds at people. <laughs> um, and and the funny thing is that she had terrible eyesight. 
she had astigmatism in both eyes. She literally, she was like, you should have been legally blind. She shouldn't be driving at night. Right. So it's very possible that she meant to just be sending these birds lightly down and didn't know the windows were there. She was throwing them into the windows. Well, yeah, maybe if she, if she was possessing them uh, and, you know, flying them like a, a predator, <laughs> like a predator drone, right? And she yeah, doesn't it's like, see. Like, exactly. It's like Mr. Magoo walking <laughs> across the street. So now to the recent story. We had a, what is called a social for our kids' school. My son, Hugh, my two-and-a-half-year-old son, and Scott's son, Rowan, go to the same preschool. And the, uh, you know, being a Los Angeles school, this event that was just for parents and teachers and administrators was being held at John Cryer's house, the actor, because his daughter goes to the same school and is in the same class. So the party's at their house. We walk up, there's a live band. <laughs> it was a pop-up dinner. Uh, you know, now we realize, okay, this is an event um, that we weren't really expecting. As part of this event, as part of the entertainment, midway through, along with the photo booth and live music, we learned that, you know, this being Los Angeles, it wouldn't be a party without a psychic. <laughs> and there was a psychic at the house that you could go and sit with and get a reading from. And we learned that, you know, she is one of the most renowned mediums, clairvoyance psychics in town. She's been on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills doing seances and whatever. So it's kind of like a karaoke bar. You have to go to the handler and put your name in, and then he comes around and says, Are you ready, sir? She can see you now. So, you know, we put her name in, my wife and I. My wife, I've never known to even think about wanting to do it. It's like she really wants to do it. Um, Scott, of course, wants to do it. So we all put our names in, and Scott finally goes. And Scott, after, I think you were in there for at least 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Scott came out and, you know, being somewhat of a skeptic and always taking kind of a real scientific look at these things and being having done research on cold readings, etc., you came out really shaken up to the point that you're like, I got to go home. Yeah. Somewhat, you know, almost kind of teary. You, 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 had an, you had an experience, at which point Aaron and I, my wife, looked at each other and were like, what the hell? Yeah. Okay. And people were coming out of that room looking like they got punched in the gut. <laughs> so then Sherman comes up to me and says, I need to skip you because John wants to go. And uh, But so, to be so fair, it's not. It's, he's also the host. He's, he's footing the bill, to be fair. Yeah, I understood. I let it go. <laughs> uh, but for, you know, they used 45 minutes of time when she was supposed to be out of there at 9 o'clock. So now at 8.40... Finally, they leave the room, and they call Erin in, my wife. Erin goes in. Now, mind you, I had this very, in retrospect, I, I, I felt very rooted to the scene. Like, I really felt like I could not leave the house until I saw this psychic. This is something I'd never felt or needed to do before, never even thought about, but I was not leaving this house until I got to see the psychic. And time was running down. She had to leave at 9 o'clock. So finally, Erin's in there for maybe five or six minutes. She comes out, and then they call me in. So I go in. When, and and what, did you, you get any information from Erin when she came out about her experience? No. Okay. No, no. All Erin said was, 
they phoned, she phoned it in for Aaron. Aaron did not have a very enlightening experience with the psychic. Right. So I went in and I said, hi, I'm Eric. And she goes, oh, you're Eric. I heard uh, somebody called out Eric to me earlier and I've been waiting to figure out who it was. So hi. And I'm like, oh, okay, hi, here I am. So she said, oh, are, are you Jewish? Now, as Scott knows, you can look at me and don't have to think very hard if I'm Jewish. I do have a Jew fro, as they are called. So, okay, she's somewhat perceptive. It's also Hollywood. Um, so I said, yes. And she said, well, she said, oh, well, your, your wife isn't. I know. And I confirmed that she never asked what religion Erin was. But what's interesting is there is a very wise, very powerful Jewish wise man with you as your guide sitting next to you. He's been with you since you were born and he's going to be with you for the rest of your life. He's your, he's your guide. He is, uh, I'm not sure what you call them, a Hasidic? I said a Hasidic? And she said, yeah, yeah, that's it. The robes and the, and the beard. And he is, I believe, an ancient relative of yours, a very distant relative of yours. Do you know who I'm talking about? And actually, I did. My dad had told me when I was younger, I had to do a family tree for Hebrew school. And he told me that his grandfather's family was from Spain. And in the 1920s and 1930s, they had a genealogy done of the family which traced all the way back to Moses Maimonides. And Moses Maimonides, if you don't know, was a 11th or 12th century, very famous Jewish philosopher and scholar. There's hospitals named after him to this day, Maimonides. And he is related to us, and he's from Cordoba, Spain. And I said the name Moses Maimonides, that's exactly who it is. He's with you. And I said, oh, okay, do I need to be more religious? And she's like, no, it's, you know, with this guy looking over my shoulder. She said, no, it's really not about religion. It's not about God. It's it's really about a set of rules. Religion being the earliest form of rules and government, it's really about rules to live by and, and teach your children. And I said, okay. And then she went on to, you know, specific, I'll call them specific vagaries, because being in Los Angeles and working in the industry, she was feeding into my ego. She's like, you have a very stable, steady job. You like where you work. You like the people you work with. And all of this is true. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're only going to continue to have success. Money is going to continue to come your way. It's not going to be an issue for you and your wife. That even though your wife's job might be shifting, which is okay, because she really will be successful in her own right as her own boss or a consultant. She shouldn't worry. Um, so, you know, everything she's saying is like, okay, she could say this to anybody. And she said, you have two children, I know, and they're beautiful. One's a three-year-old and one's a baby. Now, also read a party for toddler's parents. So that's right. Very, she, know, can, she knows that everyone who's present has children. Has children. But she, she doesn't know how old they are or, or no. necessarily or their ages. Uh, well, no, that's um, not true. She would know a general age range, actually, now that I think about yeah, it. Yeah, she would know that they're all around two and a half or three years old, but she didn't necessarily need to know that we had one younger. And then she said, oh, and, you know, you used to be in front of the camera and on the stage when you were younger. 
I said, I did. I, I used to actually, I used to act a lot. And she said, and she said, it brought you a lot of happiness, but you're much happier now doing what you're doing now. It's much more rewarding for you, and that's great, and keep it up. And you're, you like to write. You should get back into it. And ironically, I kind of am. I've got a couple of things I'm working on. So, you know, that goes on and on for a little bit. And then she wasn't saying anything about my mother. I was a little disappointed about, so I said, can I ask you a question? She said, of course. I said, okay, can I ask you about my mother? And she looked at me and she said, oh, that's who it is. She said, I don't want to scare you, but there's a woman in the room standing behind your shoulder who I didn't realize who it was, but now I know it's your mother. And she's very pretty and very young. Uh, she, she died young, right? And I said, yeah. She said she barely made it out of her 50s. And I said, that's right, she was 61. And she said, well, she's here with us, and she wants you to know that she's proud of you, and she comes and she visits the house, and she's seen, she knows your children, and she's seen your children. She couldn't be happier. I said, okay, that's really nice. And she said, well, this is interesting. Um, have you been to, have you ever been to Argentina? And I said, well, yes, I, I have, actually. Um, and, and she said, after she passed away, I said, yes, we went about a year after she passed in 2005, my wife and I, then my girlfriend and four other friends all took a trip down to Argentina. And she said, well, your mother wants you to know that she saw that trip and she knows about it and it looks like it was a lot of fun. Okay, well, that's really specific. That was the first really specific thing she said. Now, and Aaron, and then, Aaron did not give any information about that trip nah, to her. And I was in this like five minutes. Right. She didn't say it thing about any, anything. The only thing, that, and we'll talk about that after, the only thing that Erin was told was that she makes good sandwiches. Erin <laughs> um, didn't get a thing from this woman. So, so first she, she says, and then she says, oh, your mother was a great cook. You know, I'm like, well, no, not exactly. She cooked one thing really well. She made great matzo ball soup. That's what she was known for. And she said, oh, and you know how to make it. And I said, well, no, I don't. My sister does. And she said, oh, okay. Well, she would like you. She thinks it's important that you or your wife, who's a good cook, learn how to make the matzo ball soup because it's important to keep alive that tradition in your family. And it's something that I've kind of always wanted to do and, 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 and miss out on because my sister makes it for all the holidays in New York and I'm not there. So she said that we should learn how to make it. And then she said something else. She, about me and my sister, and she said, oh, wait, sorry, your mother's correcting me. She had three children. You have an older brother, too. I said, that's right, I do. She went on a little bit, and she mentioned a couple of names that I don't really know who she was talking about. She mentioned a Samuel. She mentioned a Sally as being somebody that she might be over in the other realm with. And then she mentioned an Annabelle and a Lily, and who may be sisters. And these are people that I may come across, don't search them out, but when I meet them, I'll know. And I'm like, okay. None of that meant anything to me. And then she said, did your mother have cancer? I said, no, she didn't. She said something with the brain. I said, well, she had a brain aneurysm and went into a coma. She's like, okay, that's, that's it. You know, she wants you to know there was nothing more that you or your family could have done and that you should continue to live your lives and be happy knowing that there really was nothing that you could have done. And it's always been something that we've felt that we could have done more, you know. And actually, as recently as last week, so 
somebody said to me, you know, if it was today, they probably could have saved her. Like, well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that information? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, so it's always been something that we've kind of felt like. And But here she is kind of closing that loop saying, there's nothing you could have done, which was, which was nice to kind of hear. But then I said, okay, now I'm going to test her. And I said, can you tell me, or can you ask her, rather, if there's an animal of any sort that we've ascribed a sense of import to for her? And she said, well, it's not the dog. I said, no. And she said, I'm like, but I do have a dog. She goes, no, I know you do. Your dog sees your mom when she comes to the house, which I kind of believe. She said, oh, it's the birds. And when she said that, I was like, did that really just come out of her mouth? Right, right. And I said, oh, oh, my God. And she said, well, your mother said, yes, the, the birds, it is her. You were right. Um, she knows all about the birds. She actually sends you a lot of hummingbirds because they're kind of the easiest. And we get a ton of hummingbirds at our house, and we got a ton of hummingbirds at the house we used to live at when we moved out here. And she said, but she's also sent you a hawk and a falcon. Now, last week, in the middle of the week, my son and Hugh and I were playing in front of our house on the sidewalk, and a hawk was playing, was in the tree above us. A hawk. I don't know how often you actually see hawks in the LA suburbs hanging out in trees. It's not very often. Right. And then the weekend before, like three days earlier, I had taken Hugh, my son, and the dog for a hike in Runyon Canyon and heard and saw a falcon, which I picked Hugh up to point out and show him. Wait, hold on. Come here. Look. Did you see it? And then she's like, oh, and you're also going to see a Californian eagle. And she said, just so you know, I don't even really know what a falcon is. I don't think I've ever said the word falcon, so it's not something I would just pick out of thin air. Uh, okay. So all of that really kind of knocked me for a loop. And then it was time to kind of go, and I go to get up. I said, thank you so much. This really was unbelievable. Um, and she said, wait, I can't let you leave. Your mother doesn't want you to leave the room until she lets you know that she's with Judy and everything is okay. They're fine. They've made it to heaven. Uh, which is really just another plane of reality, but they're together and they're both here in the room. But she's with Judy and she wanted you to know that. Now, Judy is my mother's mother, my grandmother, who died three months before my mother and was the only grandparent I ever knew. I literally almost had a heart attack. Hearing that word, that name, there's no way on earth that she would have just pulled that name. I mean, that was something that she knew and was being told. So I walked out of there, grabbed my wife and said, we got it. I got to get out. I got to go home. So the next day, um, I call my sister. I tell her the story. She's just blown away. I call my brother and tell him the story. And he says, two days ago, my therapist told me that I needed or should go see a psychic. She had a feeling I should go talk to a psychic about my mother. And it just reminded me of the feeling of being stuck in that house and not leaving until I spoke to that psychic. Um, it's almost like she was kind of calling and making sure, calling out to us that, that, that we needed to go and, and make a connection. And I was the first one who did. 
And then I called my dad to tell him the story. And he was, I wouldn't say flippant, but he's not a man of many emotions. You know, he didn't even remember the birds events from eight years ago. Once I said it, he was like, oh, yeah, now I remember. I forgot all about that. So he literally hasn't thought about it in eight years. Right. Two hours later, two or three hours later, he calls my cell phone, kind of freaked out a little bit, and he said, you're never going to believe this. I just left the place where I was getting my hair cut, and I was sitting by the window, and a bird flew into the window and died as if reminding him of the entire event. Right. It just felt like she was taking this time to reach out to us and just kind of let us know that everything was okay. Okay, so just wow, first of all, right? I mean, it's pretty It's pretty amazing. Not being religious or not being, you know, never really being sure and never really knowing what, what else there is, it, it really just knocks your belief system to the core and really kind of, I didn't sleep for a couple of days afterwards. Yeah. I really think about who the fuck is Sally, uh, <laughs> just rocking my brain, trying to figure certain things out. What is she trying to tell me? But just kind of amazed by the whole event. And one part of it, I will say, was kind of interesting is that I had a sense of like almost like a strange confidence boost, uh, knowing that I had this very wise, ancient relative looking over my yeah, shoulder. Yeah, my mom, my mom, which is also, by the way, super fun to say. My mom, Maimonides. Maimonides is a great yeah. name. I didn't say it right, but yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like that's the best. If you look into Jewish spiritualism and the writings of Jewish afterlife, and there's not. You know, there, there's not a ton, you know, about about it, but there 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 is a belief system of what there is afterwards, and nobody really knows. But what they do believe, you know, kind of mirrors the event, the experience that I had, and kind of what what I was describing in terms of there being different planes of reality, and certain people stay here and become guides or are somewhat stuck here, and certain people do make it to a heaven, but nobody really knows what that is either, and have the ability to kind of go back and forth. Right. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Well, there's a couple of observations that I want to make. I definitely want to touch on your dog's past year of his life um, before, <laughs> before we hang up. But coming back to the psychic experience, I did have a very sort of intense uh, visit with the psychic. What happened for me was I went in and sat down with her. The information that she pulled for me that I felt was pretty unusual was the first thing she said is, oh, oh, you're an animal person. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess. But now to be fair, I haven't had an animal for years, but my whole life I had cats up until my son was born and he became enough of a um, caretaking requirement that I didn't want a cat. So <laughs> but then she goes, no, you just got a, a dog or a puppy. And she was spot on. Four weeks ago, Emily and I adopted uh, rescued an animal at a, one of those things at a mall. So that was kind of out of the blue. And she was like, well, she's a puppy or she's really young. And I said, yeah. And she goes, be patient with her. She's very smart. And she really is happy with you. And there were, there were two guardians that came down and put her with you and you guys with her. That was an arranged marriage for lack of a better word, which I, I do have to say that the event of adopting this animal was for my wife and I 
more spiritual than most things are. There was something about it that it was so we couldn't even really remember how the dog got into our arms, to be honest. We still were we were talking about that before I even had this discussion. So then she said, oh, you know, just be patient with her, you know, which I am going to have having to do because she's not, you know, fully potty trained and she has a few issues, but overall she's an awesome dog. So that was the first thing she said and I was like, okay, well, she then goes on to say, well, there's a man here with you. It's a, it's your grandfather is here with you. And I said, Okay. And she's like, he's standing behind you. And I'm trying very hard not to give up any information. I'm also pretty familiar with how cold reading works. So I'm trying to avoid like any of the tips that like allow somebody to cold read details, but it's hard to do. It's very hard to do. It's hard to mask your body language. It's hard not to nod when they say something that works or shake your head. No, you know, it's very, it takes a lot of concentration not to give up information. When she said that my grandfather was there, my heart kind of skipped a beat because I have a grandfather that I was very, very, very close to. And she went on to say that he was saying that, uh, quote, he said, my grandson is very technical. She goes, now, are, are you in the business? Or, of course, again, like Eric said, we are in Hollywood and we're at John Cryer's house. Everybody's in the business. And I, I mean, I'm not actually in the entertainment business, but I am an editor. I did, you know, I edited television commercials. So, you know, I'm in that adjunct of the business. And she goes, yeah, he's saying you're very technical. And I said, well, you know, I'm working on a podcast. And that day I had actually been to Guitar Center and bought some cables. And, you know, I got to thinking about how in in particular that day was kind of a, a more technical day for me than, <laughs> than they usually are. She says, he's here and he is frequently visiting you. The same sort of thing she said to you. He is glad that you're doing well, et cetera, et cetera. And then she goes on to a much more poignant set of details about my family. And it started with me saying, okay, I need to know which grandfather this is. I have to confirm this because I have two grandfathers who are dead and one of whom died when I was really young and I don't actually remember much about um, and he was a chemist. But the, the one that I'm closer to died, you know, when I was in college. And he is my mother's grandfather. And I said to her, which grandfather is it? And without missing a beat, she said maternal. So I was like, wow, okay, so this is this is my grandfather. His, his name was uh, Jesse. But she didn't say his name. And then she goes, right after that, she said, now who's Betty? And that, and even now just saying it, it's kind of like your Judy moment. It was like, yeah. Betty is his wife who is still living. And she is just north of 85, I think. She is like a very forceful, like outgoing, gregarious and funny woman. To have her say that, to confirm that it's that grandfather and then have the very next thing that comes out of her mouth is the name of his wife. And the other thing that's happening is that my mom spends a lot of time taking care of Betty. And the next thing that she said was, he's he's worried about your mother because – She's spending a lot of time, you know, she got what well, she actually asked me. She said, is Betty in a home or she's, I was like, no, but my, my mom checks on her daily, calls her daily, visits her daily pretty much. And she goes, yeah, he's, he's a little worried about your mom and he wants you to know that he is spending as much time with her as possible trying to help. And that he also wants everyone to know that she's, he, he goes, she's sick. He, she goes, she's not sick, sick, but she's starting to go through changes. And she said he wants everyone to know that he's going to be there waiting for her. It still gives me a chill when I think about it. But of course, it's something you want to hear. We we talk about that. And then she goes, now, what is it about a kitchen? She goes, you have a kitchen. You don't 
something is going on with kitchens for you, which, okay, this is another thing that's really out of left field. My wife and I live in a rental condo that is, you know, on the surface, fairly nice. It was only built two or three years ago and the kitchen looks really nice, but everything in it is a piece of crap and I hate it. I'm not a gourmet cook by any stretch, but I do like to cook and I'm trying to cook more and more. My dad is actually kind of a, an amateur gourmet and he's been helping me, you know, get the right pots and pans and all that kind of stuff. And I, this kitchen, I can't stand it. Everything looks is stainless steel and it looks nice, but it works like crap. The ice maker, three people come over, it doesn't make ice. The stove won't stay lit. The oven won't stay lit. The dishwasher doesn't clean the dishes. This is a very internal thing. And she goes, you're going to move and you're going to get the kitchen you want. And your grandfather is laughing. He says, he's going to help you just relax about it. It's just going to, you have to be patient. And she goes, and you guys are probably going to get a house, but don't think of it as a, tra as a trap. And uh, this was all super interesting to me because we have been actively looking at houses for about five months. I have seen probably between 20 and 30 houses. There's no way she could have known that. And um, the one that I wanted the most had this beautiful kitchen. <laughs> we got we got outbid on it. So that was another sort of weird to be pulling something out of left field. I mean, what do you say? It was very specific to me. So then after that, she goes on and she says, now tell me about Jerry. Jerry is pretty much my one of my uh, best friends back east. He's like a brother to me. She then says, and who is Mary or Mary Beth? And I said, well, that's Jerry's wife. So she's now named my grandfather's wife, my best friend and his wife. She went into more detail about that. She actually even went into a past lives thing about me and Jerry. And I don't know if that's interesting enough to share here because there's no way to corroborate that. I enjoyed it and enjoyed hearing it, but that wasn't the part of it that you know, it's it's never surprising for someone to tell you that you and your closest friends have been around together before. You know, you want to believe that anyway. So the the things for me that were really specific and strange about it was, like I said, the names that she pulled out, the thing about the kitchens. And then the very last thing she said to me was, you know, you're as psychic as I am. And I said, are you kidding me? And she said, yeah. She goes, you just need to develop it. And she goes, listen, I want you to do, do you, when you look at me, do you see colors? And I said, I said, yes, I do. And she said, it's, uh, would tell me what they are. And I said, green. And she goes, light green or dark green? And I said, it's a light green. And she goes, she goes, yes, that totally makes sense. And she goes, I want you to just, right now, I want you to say the first name that comes to your mind relating to me. And she says, your grandfather is standing right over you and he's helping. And I just, without hesitating, I just said the name Julie. And she looked at me kind of like knowingly, she laughed and she she pulled out her BlackBerry and she said, Julie is a close friend of mine. She just texted me and asked me if I was coming over tonight. And then she showed me the last text that came in on our BlackBerry. Oh, my God. So then she said, I want you to – do you have any more names? And I started naming these other names, but I felt like they weren't real. Like that first one felt like a solid thing and then I felt like I was off my whatever – and then she goes, well, you know, that's strange because those are the, some band. The, there's a band that John's involved with and those names. She goes, well, I don't know about that. So she walked away from it because I don't really know John, you know, our, the party host. So the overall feel of the experience was very, very heavy, specifically as it related to the stuff about my grandfather. In conclusion, I just want to quickly say that my grandfather had a nickname, which I'm not going to share here because I'm going to see her again. And I want I don't want it to be out there anywhere. But it's a name that I came up with when I was a little kid and the whole family referred to him by this name uh, till the day he died. And I even have a tattoo on my arm that is an homage to the, to the iconography of that name, of that nickname. And she didn't say anything about any of that or his name. And it, that, it's a very heavy thing. So you wonder like what information is coming through, what isn't coming through. The other thing I right. can tell you is I, I've researched the name Betty. 
Betty was the number one most popular name from 1930 to like 1955. You know, the part of me, the skeptical part of me and the part that's like, well, have I just been cold red? I don't know. It's like, you know, you come to the party. What is everything you can tell about me from being at this party? I definitely have a kid. I'm probably in the business. I have a beard with gray in it. It's obvious that I have dead grandparents. <laughs> it's like there's, right. so there's all that stuff. And then the name fishing is a cold reading technique. They throw a name out. They look for something, you know, and then your reactions given. And I know there were times when I gave information as hard as I was trying not to. I did give her feedback that reinforced the direction she was going in. But conversely, I did not get a sense that she was a con artist at all. And I will Me also, and yeah, and I, I will also say that. Well, maybe I was mistaken, or I read too much into it. You know, I don't know. I'm looking at the name Judy right now. Name yeah. was among the top 50 most popular given names for girls born in the U.S. between 1940 and 1960. Now, right. she she could have said the name Judy and, you know, also it's very much a Jewish name or Hebrew. It's connected to – it's specifically associated with that. There's There was a pretty good chance that there's Judy – there was a Judy in your life somewhere. I, I'll, fine. If she named 10 different names and Judy was one of them. Yeah. But it was the only name she said. Right. And it was the name that I wasn't allowed to leave the room until my mother mentioned it, which was very much would be my mother. Like, hey, why aren't you asking about your grandmother? Right. Or make sure she make sure he knows that I'm with his grandmother because we died three months apart. Right. Right. And, you know, she would be with her mother, who she took care of, who had emphysema. She was 84 when she passed away. And my mother, much like your mother's taking care of your grandmother was with her daily right. uh, to the point of wearing her out. By the way, um, also so, a, another reasonable assumption, if there's a living grandparent of somebody in our age bracket, then the, there's a good – yeah, and there's a good chance that there's a child involved in the caretaking. Sure. So, well, OK. Let me, let me ask both of you uh, this question. Uh, how many names did she come up with that didn't mean anything? Oh. <laughs> like how, how many misses? Four. To me, okay. she said four names. That didn't mean anything to me. Samuel, Sally, Annabelle, and Lily. And my mom did not was not a great cook. So, you know, there were things that she definitely got wrong. And she also never said my mother's name. She didn't say any names. The only name she said, which was the last name she said, and I was not allowed to leave the room until she said it was Judy. Right. Okay. So, well, she said four names to me. And by the way, she said she could have said Judith. Right. She didn't go by Judith. She went by Judy. She could have said Jude. She could have said any right. other name. Right. I mean, why did she say a woman's name? She right. could have said any other name, but she specifically said that name. Well, she said four names to me, and one of them did not mean anything to me. Now, it was after I said that the name didn't mean anything to me that she ascribed it to someone else. And I'll tell you a very quick little story about that. The name she gave me that I didn't understand was William. I was like, no. And she goes, no, you know what? I said, no, I don't know that. And then, of course, after that, she says, no, William uh, William is with Jerry. William is taking care of Jerry or looking out oh, for Jerry. I, I said, oh, okay. Well, you know, I'll ask him about it. Have you asked him? Uh, yeah. So that comes around to I finally, you know, it took me a couple of days to get in touch with him because Jerry's a very busy guy. Now, um, just a couple of quick things about Jerry. One is he had some serious intestinal tract problems for a couple of years and nearly died uh, three times. He's our age, by the way. So he went through a pretty intense time with all of that. And she didn't mention that. 
um, just, you know, I, there's things I'm thinking about that are really significant events that aren't mentioned or the nickname of my grandfather, the, you know, that kind of stuff. But anyway, she goes, William is taking care of Jerry. And she didn't indicate that it was like a someone who had passed or anything one way or the other, I don't think. So I call Jerry and I tell him the story and I tell him about the past lives thing, which I didn't mention here, but the long and short of it was that she intimated that we had been friends in past lives and we actually fought in the Civil War together for the North, um, which of course my family who's all from the South is going to be pissed about. But, <laughs> but she said that we uh, survived the war and retired on neighboring farms and that my farm had a shop in the back and I did metal work. And, and, and she also said that he at that time was married to Mary, the same Mary that he's married to now. So I called, of course, to tell him all of this. And then the next thing that he says, to set this up more properly, Jerry had uh, used to be a lighting designer, did a lot of stage work, et cetera, et cetera. And he got sick of it and he went back to school like in his mid-30s and got a law degree and is now a public defender in Newark, New Jersey, which means he's a very busy man. And uh, he um, is just starting to – he had been interning all through the law degree stuff. So he was pretty well in place with the public defender's office. By the time he graduated, they put him into a, a, a significant role there. And by significant, you know, it's you have to climb the ladder. It was you go into court, you argue bail for people or whatever. Uh, first, first he was interviewing people and then uh, sharing that info with the people who actually argued bail. Then he got to where he was arguing bail and then he recently was promoted to where he's actually handling trials. It's very hard and it, it, there's a lot of pressure and he has a supervising attorney for him in the public defender's office who has taken him under his wing and he's his mentor. And his name is William. William. And he said, you know, it's funny because William is no longer my supervising attorney. I was transferred to somebody else months ago, but he still comes to court and comes to see me every few days and asks how I'm doing and gives me advice and reviews my my arguments wow. and all that. And she, he goes, he is essentially a, a mentor for me now. And his name is William. So – I don't know. William's a very common name, obviously. My my grandfather had a brother named William, but the whole family called him Bill. So I just didn't think that that was what that was. So right. that's everything. That's everything about the experience that I had. But I and and it's a little. There's been a little water under the bridge now for me. But for the first several days, I was like you. I had a hard time sleeping, and I was uh, shaken by the experience. And I fully intend to see her again. And you want it? And my dog does have a uh, yeah. Just quickly. Aaron and Eric's dog, Ollie, is a little bit of a celebrity in Hollywood. He is. Um, he is. Why don't you tell the story of what happened? It, it, I'll try and keep it short. This is probably coming almost on a, at least 10 months ago. I think this is January, February. I don't even remember. And there was a human head <laughs> that was found at Bronson Canyon underneath the Hollywood sign. Do you remember that for us? I do remember that story. Yeah. And it, was a na it turned out to be a national story. LAPD officials say a severed head by a severed head. A severed man's head has been discovered on a hiking trail there beneath the Hollywood sign. Your dog was well, the... My dog was the dog that dug up the human head up at Bronson Canyon. So he was on a hike with his dog hiker in L.A. Dogs don't just have dog walkers, but they also have dog hikers. And my dog, being a very active golden retriever, 
uh, with a ton of energy. He goes twice a week on a on a hike with a pack of dogs, and he was that particular day. They went to Bronson Canyon, and he tore off into the. And he's a digger. He's a hunter. He's always bringing back, you know, rats and gophers. He even killed a snake once up the Bron- at Runyon Canyon. Um, and uh, he tore off into the into this kind of uh, tops of trees and was digging and barking like a madman. He was, you know, tore off from the pack. Good. Where's that crazy dog off to now? He quote unquote excavated the site. He dug like a foot or two down. It wasn't just sitting there by a tree. He actually dug it up and brought into the middle of the trail a shopping bag. Proceeded to tear it apart and then was holding and holding in his mouth what my poor dog walker and her seventy-year-old mother uh, <laughs> believed to be either a soccer ball or some sort of a prop because they shoot a lot up there. You know, Batman, the old Adam West Batman series shot up there. It, 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 it rolled down a hill. Her mother was like, I don't think that was a soccer ball. Took a stick, went down, and sure enough, poked it, and as it rolled over, she saw eyeballs and a nose. Um, it was a very fresh kill. What is that? Oh, my God. Um, it wasn't something that had been there for a long time. It had apparently been there for less than two days. And if Ollie hadn't found it, the coyotes would have gotten it, and they never would have gotten this, opened up this missing persons case into a murder. They ultimately, they went, they got the police came, the rangers came, cadaver dogs ended up unburying hands and feet. They tracked it back to a a man who was actually a gay Mexican flight attendant, a 66-year-old man from Hollywood that had gone missing. And they still haven't tracked down who did it. But Ollie was a in-studio guest on CNN. He was on Jane Velez Mitchell's show on HLN. I mean, literally, the freaking dog was a guest inside the studio. Um, while the dogs were playing with it, at, at some point, the object came out of the bag, and they discovered that it was a head. My wife and, and Scott's wife worked together on a show. On that show is uh, Maya Rudolph and, and Will Arnett. And Will had gone on a show and talked about it, and suddenly now he's he's all over the nightly. He that was on Jimmy Kimmel. He talked about it on Jimmy Kimmel, and then Maya Rudolph went on Conan O'Brien and actually showed a picture of Ollie. He is uh, nominated for an ASPCA award. He wasn't given one yet. They nominated for, for him. For finding this body? Fi- they nominated him, meaning he's got to wait to see if somebody else came up with something better than finding a head. Listen, Eric, you've been great. Thanks again for your time. And, uh, you know, if you hear, yeah. if anything else comes up, feel free to give us a heads up. Yeah, you got it, man. Thank you, gentlemen. All righty. All right. Thank you very much. So that interview was done a little while back, and since then there have been a few developments in the stories of both the psychic and Ollie the crime-fighting dog. Eric, thanks for coming back for this little follow-up. It was a little bit of a while ago when we recorded the interview, so I thought it was a good idea to do a little recap. A lot has happened since then. A little earlier today I sent you some links, which I don't even think you had time to look at because you were at work, but were you aware that there was folklore surrounding birds and omens and um, specifically, from what I found – in just some cursory research today, 
people believe that birds hitting windows and dying signify an impending death. I saw that in the articles that you sent, but I had, up until that point, had never You didn't know about that. It was actually one of the first deaths in my family ever, and one of the first times I ever actually experienced death. So I had no previous real involvement or knowledge that that would have been okay something. so it's safe to say that you weren't influenced by the that concept is oh the, my family has a long history of birds birds and, yeah no not at all at the time it wasn't something that we were ascribing any sense of folklore or tradition to because it was just happening and it happened so quickly that we didn't think about it really until mary the manicurist called my sister I love Mary the Manor. You know, okay. when she when she made that phone call and you know and then we started to think about oh wait during the burial at the cemetery there were a hundred crows sitting on the power lines over where we were standing and you know it it just was not anything that we thought of in the moment. Wait, until, did that happen? That did happen. Oh, you're not just that there was there were a hundred there was quite literally a hundred crows in the sitting on the power lines above like the 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 eight of us standing around the grave uh above us at the cemetery and so we at the time didn't think anything of the birds really except like how weird that that happened to us um until mary the manicure is called okay Okay. were were they squawking were they no they were just sitting there Wow. Okay. They were quiet. Uh, th- and it was on a busy so they were road. being respectful. They were. They, were being, they, they bowed their heads. Yeah. Uh, and it was a busy road. The, the cemetery is right near Belmont Racetrack. Um, oh, you know, wow. It was a busy, busy road, and they were just sitting there. Now, that's there. happened uh, where I've come out of my apartment, and there were about 100 crows sitting on the power lines, but they were all raising um, a bracket. Was a murder of crows? It was a murder yeah. of crows. And then I I've had a murder of those. Um, I actually put murder. it on. I tweeted it on our Twitter of, it, of those the errant tropical birds. Oh, ones. yes, yeah, that's the, the, green, the green parrots. Crazy noise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, they're, like they're, they're very laughing noisy. At you. Yeah. If you look through uh, our Twitter feed, you'll but see that, that. But that's my point, is that that's very noticeable. That got me out of my apartment. Like, what is yeah. that racket? And you go outside, and yeah. then it's an eerie sight when there's like 100, 200 crows all gathered together. Not it, making a sound. That's even weirder. Yeah. 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 Do you feel, because you've told this story a lot of times, and it's been, since um, since your mother passed, how many years has it been now? Uh, it was 2004, so oh, 10 years. Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay. So do you feel like in telling this story and, and thinking back on it that it's possible that you're misremembering the events to confirm what happened, like in terms of the birds all happening within an hour and all the details that make it so uncanny? Or you just know for a fact that that's the, that is what happened? I remember that from the first moment we talked about it. I, I know for a fact because it it wasn't just me confirming it. I have my sister, I have my sister-in-law. That's a good point. And I started telling the story almost like, you know, within a week or two that it happened. Um, and, you know, it's not like the type of thing that I've told dozens of times to, you know, this is probably the the most I've talked about it in years at this point. Um, and so when I talk to my sister, it's, you know, and birds have very, at this point, become kind of a motif in my life, little bird statuettes. And so it's been something very important to me that I, reminds me about my mom. Okay. So what I was going to say is, you know, a lot of times in these stories, you hear stories and in forces, we've talked about this on the show in the past. And sometimes I have a, I have a tendency, um, not sometimes, all the time, I have a tendency to try to be skeptical 
You're looking for the, the logical explanation. Right. I just want sure. to make sure you've explored all these things. So, you know, I did today, I did just a little, again, cursory research. I'm always want to say cursory because I'm not a researcher. <laughs> I don't even, don't have, I don't yeah. even, I just have a bachelor's degree in, in film. In cursory okay. research. <laughs> in cursory research. Yeah. But um, I found some information on, on a Cornell website, actually, which is as close as I've ever been to Cornell, but, and <laughs> about birds and, you know, why do birds fly into windows and that sort of thing? And you, they're, of course, speculating because nobody's ever had the chance to talk to a bird about it, <laughs> especially after well, that's yeah, they except did, maybe yeah. your mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but like they think, oh, it's the reflection. They see the skies. They see tree branches, whatever. And, and in some cases, they may also know that they're go- they would be going into a building, but they're trying to fly in to find sure. shelter, which is probably yeah. the saddest reason um, to for a bird to smack into a window. But it's always glass or something that has a reflective surface. Right. So the detail in your story that for me that that kind of gives me a little bit of a chill is bird number two yeah. in your story. What did bird number two hit? Flew into a solid wood door. A solid wooden door. And this is the, the front door to my parents' house. A house that you used to live in. That I grew up in. The first bird was a <clears throat> very big, clear picture window, but the second bird absolutely was a thick wooden door. What color was it? Wood color. <laughs> wood. It's, it's not even painted. Yeah. No, yeah. brown. Okay, so it's not like it wasn't white painted even. like the sky. No, 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 no. It was just brown. Painted it wasn't brown. sky blue with clouds on no, it. No, there was, was like a big tree like painting a, on no, the front. No, no. The there front. wasn't a big sign that said birds. Yeah, bird right. feed. Well, uh, no, like, no yeah. it was. Um, yeah. It was just a wooden door. Right, right. Wow. Okay. See, for me, that's like okay. Well, these birds. You could say, all right. How, how far apart were all the locations? So there were three three incidents of it. That. At at this one location at my parents' house, and then my sister's house, which was about a mile away, and then the house where my nephew was being babysat. That wasn't at, even a family house. That was no, a babysitter's house. It was, it was house. the babysitter's house. The, it was basically daycare. Yeah. Uh, and he was two at the time, and he was in the upstairs playroom, and it was the window there, and that was probably another mile away. So it was all within like a four square mile radius. Okay. Of the it's thing. still so that's a, so again you could say oh well. Maybe a bunch of birds got sick yeah. and on the same day. On the same day, but still, there's that one that flew into the wooden door. Yes, it's like a bird flying into a tree, or like that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, it's like and and it's funny because the one that flew into my sister's house, she heard the crash and she went to the front door. Like, what was that? And when she opened the door, the FedEx guy was there, and she and he said, "Did you see that?" And she said, what? He goes, a bird just flew right into the door, like right over my shoulder and flew right into the door and died. And there was the bird down there. So she so heard he it. standing there. The, F, the FedEx guy was like about to ring the doorbell and the bird beat him to it and slammed into the door. Wow. Okay. So now, now we got two cases then that are – that sort of, again, we got the one that flies into the, into the wooden door. Yeah. And then we have another one that flies right up to a human being. Basically. Over yeah. past – Right past him and slammed into the plate glass door that was in front of a white wooden door. So it was like, you know, two, yeah. two doors, the glass door. Yeah, wooden yeah door. sure. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. That's, I think that's really, really fascinating. Well, it's another confirmation of another human being seeing it. Yes. And, uh, but we could say that, you know, contact information, unfortunately, we do not have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you order something through right. FedEx. They'll show up. But that's my uh, another interesting thing, I think, with, with people not believing this or thinking like, well, it's just a coincidence. It's I think everybody has a number. If one bird hit the window, okay, that's not so much. Two, yeah. no. Three, no. How about 10? You know, 20. How many birds does it take? Does it take? Yeah, before you start realizing like there, there's something going on here. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is. 
But right. obviously, and, this and, is not. And bias, later, you know. just again, I mean, I know everyone who's listening to this show just heard this, but you, when you told your dad, oh yeah, yeah. And, and then eight years later, when I told my dad the uh, the the interaction with the psychic and and the you know the, the fact that the birds got brought back up and he didn't remember it immediately, and then you know two hours later he went to go get his haircut, and sure enough. Bird smashed uh, into yeah, the bird smashed into the window that he was sitting right near in the barbershop. I think what we could learn from all this is that birds are expendable as <laughs> as, mess, as as post-its. Just you want to say, just throw throw a few birds. Oh, no. These poor way. birds. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it's sort of like they yeah, they, they there's a bunch of them. More where they came yeah. from. When we first experienced it, I was very much drinking the Kool-Aid on oh, yeah. it and just like now having listened back to it as we were reconvening for this follow-up and sort of planning to get this edited and on the air, I was like, how do I feel about some of these details? And and it, it becomes more and more about, well, these are there's there's sections of it that I really can't ascribe to guesswork and mm-hmm. you know, but then there's the other parts that seem to defy that. Mm-hmm. The names the, the names we have to talk about because yes. you have some good follow up on the names now. Um, in and of itself, you get names in a psychic session and they mean absolutely nothing to you. And then you give yourself an indefinite amount of time to try to find those names. Later, Which was to her point, you, you know, know, to her point in the room. She said, don't go searching these names out. They right. might not mean anything to you, but once you hear them, you will know. Right. And I remember telling, you know, I told my sister these names and we searched through family records and family trees to see who the heck are Annabelle So you basically Lily. defied her. We tried. <laughs> we tried. You know, who is Samuel? Did we have a great uncle named Samuel? Was that the, you know, trying to figure out who she could have been possibly talking about. So in the time that's passed, I have now been able to put a person to each of these names. Sam, you know, she had said Sam or Samuel. And eventually Sam became a, a, a girl that I'd met who was, you know, became a good friend. Sally, it turned out, I had taken a friend of mine to lunch at a restaurant in town called Jones on 3rd. And this friend uh, also has an affinity for astrology and psychics. And so I said, I've got a story for you. So I told her the story. When I got to telling her about the names and I mentioned Sally, she said, Sally, it's Sally. And Sally was a woman who we both knew um, who had passed away several months before I saw the psychic. Um, and we just so happened to be sitting at the exact table where my friend and Sally had breakfast every Wednesday morning at this restaurant. And so the idea being, well, maybe she was trying to reach out to my friend through me. And she had passed fairly recently. Fairly recently. Yeah, I mean, because it was I, that summer. I, I, didn't, I never met her, but I knew of her because just like me, she was an editor. Correct. And, a um, very well-known editor. Yeah, and uh, I was aware of what happened to her. She uh, passed away hiking. From, it like, was the heat, hottest heat day. Heat it was a 117-degree day in Los Angeles, and yeah. she had been hiking up a canyon and, and, and passed away from, from heat exhaustion. Right. Premature. I mean, she wasn't She was old. a young woman, yeah. and, and uh, you know, it was, it was very tragic. Um, and I had met her through work before. And so it's not that far off if we're going to believe in this that she, she could have been she used was, me as a conduit, right? Or something. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, because it had it wasn't too far before. I remember it no, was on it was, the news. It was, well, this was October, and that had happened in uh, either June or July, a few months before. She yeah. was Tarantino's editor, right? correct? Yeah, correct. yeah. So what about Annabelle and Lily? So Annabelle and Lily, again, two names I didn't know any but Annabelle, I didn't know any Lily, and some time had passed, and then I was introduced to somebody who became a really close friend. And we were having dinner, and she mentioned her friend Annabelle. And it was the first time I had heard the name Annabelle from anybody. And I said, Annabelle, does she have a sister named Lily? Just fishing. And she goes, no, her sister died, but her sister's daughter was Lily. 
So they were related by daughter. Annabelle's sister has passed away. And her daughter's name was Lily. Okay, so you know, if Ricky Jay was here, he'd be like, "You're fishing for all this stuff or whatever." Sure, you know, I love him. By the way, I see him yeah. constantly at this sushi joint. I saw him three nights ago. Um, I always think if it, like of him over there because he's uh, him and Penn Jillette can't stand psychics. Yeah, they're just like, oh, they're all phony and whatever. And, and I watch that stuff and I try to take it all in, but like, oh, you're fishing for these names. But again, for me to find those two connected. Like if you found an Annabelle or just a Lily, but she pointed out that they would be connected, and My you sisters. found yeah, and exactly, and it's a little more than just a, an initial. Yeah, you know, yes. yeah, exactly. All right, so I want to come back and I want to talk about my mon my <laughs> Why can't I say I couldn't say it then? I can't say <laughs> monodies a little bit. Um, uh, it, it just quickly. If we wind up offending anyone here, I'm, I have to apologize because I'm again not a scholar and certainly not a Jewish scholar. <laughs> Uh, which he was. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> he was very, very highly respected, highly, highly regarded. Yes, yes. Uh, to this day. Um, N- nice but, choice on the spirit guide, by the way. Yeah, yeah well, very that worse. learned. That do worse. That's what I want to talk about. Yeah. Like, there's a couple of things I want to say. But one thing is, like, as a psychic, if you're gonna if you're gonna pull somebody out and say, you know, this person is with you, if you pick somebody that died in the year twelve something, um, which he did, uh, Maimonides. He lived from uh, 1138 to 1204, mm-hmm. right? This guy, I went today and found a uh, calculator, a generational calculator for descendants. And um, so any, somebody that lived that long ago, even with just one kid, like if everyone between him and you had one child and that child only lived to 25, it's hundreds of millions of people. Also, in the, in the world population, it's, uh, Jewish people are a small percentage of it, so it's like it's even more likely that you're going to be related some to some sort of yeah. To pull that out though, that, that's a, you know what I'm saying. That's uh, now not, I, I will say she did not say the name. Right, I said the name. right. That's a good point. That's I said the point. name. That's good she. Point. Said, she said a wise. All she specific. said there is a wise, scholarly, religious Jewish religious man. Right. That is your spirit guide, who he says is an ancient relative of yours. When you have that number of descendants, you're thinking, okay, so let's say you believe her, Maimonides is with me. Why is he with me and not his not 450 million other grand, great-grandchildren? <laughs> because I'm awesome. Or, or why wouldn't he be? I'm so much more fun than those people. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a good point. That's he could be splitting point. up his time, too. You don't know yeah. how these things work. Yeah, no, we that's don't know point. how it works. That's yeah. the other thing exactly. about the Our whole rules. part of it. We don't yeah. know. I, he, you know, I, I, he, he has custody of me on Tuesdays, yeah. and then, uh, you know, we share weekend. custody. Yeah. Weekend it was my guy. weekend with him. No, yeah. that's, what I, that's the thing. Like, how does it all work? They, maybe they can be in multiple – if you believe in spirit guides, maybe they can be in multiple places at once. I, yeah. you know, Because, you know, the other thing that Forrest and I have talked about this sometimes is that all this stuff that people see as hocus pocus or magic or ghosts or whatever – I, we have, or at least I do, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth for us, but like I have a theory that a lot of it is m- more related to interdimensional, sci- like scientific sort of existence across multiple planes. Well, yeah, and, which is thing. very much what yeah. she talked about yeah. in the room. Yeah. Well, yeah, like an interstellar thing. By the way, I love that. Oh, movie. Well, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you said it was good. No, the, the thing is. You're not going, from my point of view, you're not going outside of the scientific realm. It's a part of it that we may not understand yet or have encountered. It's, uh, you know, and I listen to uh, Brian Green. He talks about uh, string theory. And uh, what they've decided now or determined is that on the subatomic level, particles do not behave as they do here. So you know, up is down, left is right. They follow rules, but they're not rules that modern science is familiar with at this point. So my, my point being, who knows how things are organized? They, there do seem to be rules. If there are birds being sent, well, you're not sending eagles and you're not sending 
you know, bobcats or I, any other by the animals. Way, I love Forrest constantly brings up that there's rules, and I love they apply. They're across the board. It's like the black eyed kids can't do this if you're a vampire. There seem to be. It, I'm just that telling they you, the first book we publish has got to be your book of rules. Of rules. Yeah. I'm not inventing like the, the rules. I'm like just the, noticing it's things. The guide no, the you know what it is. I, <laughs> I, I'm pretty good at noticing patterns. Uh, and recently deceased is that what it is? Yes. Was that? The guide for the recently deceased, a Beatles. Ah, reads well, like yeah, stereo yeah, instructions. Yeah, yeah, but that's a, I don't know what they are. All all I've noticed is that certain things seem to happen. This is a common one. When people say like, "Well, I have ghosts tormenting me," or "There's a demon tormenting me," well, I've never yet come across a story where like a knife has flung across the wall and stuck into somebody, killing right. them. Mm-hmm. It goes in now. The wall I have heard of, around them. I have heard of things being stuck into the walls, knives. Yeah, people. I think who are maybe vulnerable emotionally or mentally being influenced yeah, in, some, in certain I'm ways. Just, I mean, I'm not to get off track, but you never hear of something like, oh, we were pelted with, with rocks from No, but, yes, but to be fair, you are leaving out a huge category, which is What's like the, the one like that the entity was based on. Um, oh, you could be, with yes. women being raped. Like, which is, but not killed, but you know, not, say, no, yeah. not killed. That's where the rule goes. <laughs> well, uh, that's right. Who knows? Yeah, well, no, you could be, people are pushed around by, by poltergeists. <laughs> Things can happen to you, okay, but so not you outright killed. A knife will be thrown at you, not into you, but you might get raped. You might get a penis in you. Well, that's not, but it doesn't stick <laughs> it's a ghost all the time. <laughs> not permanently. Okay. All right. Again, send your angry emails, I guess, to me on that one. Did, um, okay, <laughs> didn't she say that hummingbirds were easier easily, to Easily, easily yes. uh, accessible. Oh, easily, small. easy to control. LA is yeah. crawling with hummingbirds. Though. Yes. Well, flying. Yeah. But she also crawling. sent a hawk and a falcon. That's, Which yeah. can't yeah. be that easy to control. Isn't that That's what I'm saying. Lo- it, this this is my other the falcon, rule. The, the other principle <laughs> is hipsters. that the universe runs, everything's about energy and the amount of energy it takes to do certain things. And, and, and obviously... Somebody doesn't get a, a mystical fax, but you might get a, uh, a crackly phone message from Indrid Cold over the line. Yeah, but now we're going to put into your rule book that it's okay if you're trying to – if you've passed away and you're trying to reach out to someone who's still living, it's okay to kill a bunch of birds. I didn't do that. I didn't, she it, probably it, feels yeah. a lot of remorse think, about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, you, you're, you're allowed a certain amount. There's a she quota. hasn't killed one since. I yeah. mean, the hummingbirds have all been really right. happy. Yeah, if anything happens, maybe we should throw it out there right now if she's, if she's listening. By don't, all means, no, please, uh, don't. not in my house. Yeah. Though. We're gonna walk outside. This be... gonna, it's gonna be an ostrich in your backyard. Well, there, there will be a possum. I guarantee that. But that's <laughs> that's a different message altogether. Anyway, we could go on and on, which Forrest and I have a tendency to do. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for coming. No, back. thank you. Um, it was and, a blast. Uh, the one other thing that we should point out: Her- Hervé Medellin's murder has been solved. Yes, it has. Um, it yeah. has. So yes, it uh, has. The uh, the gentleman is in jail, and Ollie is safe from any repercussions. I Ollie think. is. Uh, <laughs> Ollie was briefly brought back into the press when they when they arrested his uh, his murderer but he has uh, he never retained an agent and he's still <laughs> story still available he's for still shopping. Yeah. he's still, still yeah. looking still hoping for that big break Spoken stole like my a... 15 stole my 15 minutes of fame <laughs> by, by uh, accident by accident no, i can't blame him um but uh, yeah the murder has been solved yeah we have a we have a link by the way to the story uh, about mention, her mention the what uh, and about the solving of the right murder. now he how how was that connected how was that guy connected to the uh the corpse the guy that the guy was caught was caught yeah he was his lover his boyfriend yeah, his okay boyfriend. His boyfriend. Right. anyway thank you so much for coming back i will say this and based on the stuff that i came across today you know preparing for this follow-up and and also based on your story eric and and what happened to you i'm I got to tell you, the next time a bird hits a building that I'm in, I'm going to be a little freaked out. Yeah.
that's it for this episode. We want to thank Eric Robinson for sharing his story with us. We'll be back in two weeks. Our theme was composed by Judson Crane and our sound design done by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to Jim Creative Design for our logo. Most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Google+. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. <laughs>